Turn with me, Nehemiah 13. We'll finish the 13th chapter. I'm already feeling better up here. It's great. God says, get it in the pulpit. Shut up, get in the pulpit, and do what I've asked you to do. I don't ever hear audibly from God, but I, I get like that kind of kick in the pants from God, and I like it. How about you? If, if those of you who played sports, you ever had a coach that sometimes just got in your face and said, I don't want to hear it. Get on the field now, right? And you need it. You need somebody sometimes to just say, stop whining. Stop whining. Yeah? I mean, I had, you know, my background playing sports and stuff, I, I hated it then, but l- later on I realized this is what I needed. I need someone to get in my face, and God will get in your face in a good way. He loves you. He'll put an arm around you, too. It's like a, uh, you know, a really good mom will bind your wounds, but also cause some wounds, right? <laughs> right? A really good mother, really good father. That's how God is for us. And so you're going to see a little bit of that in Nehemiah here this morning. He's going to take on a little bit of the character of uh, he will get in someone's face this morning. You're going to see uh, from our text, Nehemiah 13. Uh, let's pick up with where we left off. Verse 17, uh, I think I read that verse, but I'm going to read it again anyway. Verse 17, Nehemiah 13. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. And we're glad to let you keep it if you need it. But I'm going to start with uh, verse 17, Nehemiah 13. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? Did not our God bring on... Uh, bring all this disaster on us and on, on this city, yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they should not be open till after the Sabbath. Now you recall that he had taught them this way back at the beginning where they were putting the gates back uh, in place. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be b- brought through on the Sabbath or bought in on the Sabbath. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do this, if you do so again, I will lay my hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should go around and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And this is a little prayer to God. Remember me Oh, my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Now, it's interesting. He's praying this prayer of mercy, and then look what takes place. He's asking, God, please be merciful to me. You know I'm doing this for your heart. Verse 23, in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah. They couldn't speak Hebrew. But spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons for yourself or yourselves. Now that is some preaching right there. <laughs> <laughs> that is some leadership right there. He said, I just cleaned house. 
I was grabbing people, and I was knocking heads together. I was pulling out hair. I was striking them. I was cursing them in the name, not like uh, the kind of cursing we think, but saying, God's going to bring judgment on you. Verse 26, did not, now, he, now he's looking to the past here, did not Solomon, the king of Israel, uh, by the, uh, sin by these things, yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him, him being uh, Solomon, even to sin. Should we then hear of you doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? He says you're doing the same thing Solomon did. You're marrying a bunch of pagan. You think they're beautiful, but they couldn't care less about God. They've got all these idols, and you're bringing them into your house. You're destroying the spiritual temperature of the city in verse 28. And one of the sons, Joida, the son of Eliashib, so one of Eliashib, the high priest, one of his sons, was a son-in-law of Sambalot, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. He says, you're out of the city, period. Out of here. Verse 29, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So he, didn't, he couldn't bring... Um, he couldn't bring non-Levites in, which we saw that was a problem too with uh, last week. Verse 29, or verse 30, thus I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bring in the wood offering and the first fruits at the appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. He prays multiple times in between here. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would remember us this morning. Have mercy on us. Lord, give us understanding of your word. These things could be misunderstood, but we pray that we'd understand them according to the word of the Lord and according to the intent of the Spirit of God, that we would see your heart for renewal, for restoration, and repentance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we left off uh, with Nehemiah returning after that 10 to 12-year uh, gap between revival and him going back to Babylon. I'm speaking of last week. So uh, he goes away for that 10 to 12 year period. We left off. He comes back. After that revival, he has to come back and do the work of rebuke because the revival had faded. The people had gone back to worldliness. Uh, even Eliashib, the high priest, who was supposed to be setting the example, uh, no, he had Tobiah who had a Jewish name, but was actually not Jewish. Uh, he had Tobiah having an apartment in the temple, which was a complete affront to God. It was blasphemous. And he comes back, and he has to rebuke the leaders and the people in uh, the city of Jerusalem for returning to their ways of the flesh, for ignoring God. They just kind of didn't really have much time for God anymore. But God was determined to put the same heart in Nehemiah to renew once again what had faded away that he had the first time. The same passion for rebuilding. He said, I want you to have the same passion. This, this rebuke is not, uh, I just want you all you know, consumed by God. He's not doing that. He is contending that they come back to God, right? It's not, it's not like, um, Lord, slaughter them all. But instead, Lord, renew, revive, wake them up, you know, get them out of this worldly 
deception that they're, they're, they're listening to and, and following the intents of their heart. But, you know, that's really love, isn't it? God loves us enough not to let us stay in a certain place. Amen? God loves us enough to say, you may think this is healthy, but it's not. You may think you're going to be okay without me, but you won't be. You may think it's okay for you to kind of live your life any way you please. God says it's not. It'll never work. You will need to bend the knee. And at the end of the age, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen? Amen. At the end of the age, there's not going to be. God's going to say, well, what do you think about this? Give me your opinion. What did you think? Was, was atonement the right way to go? Should I, was, was the cross the right way to go? Should I have done something other than Jesus? God's not going to ask anybody. So he's not going to say, what did you think? He's going to say, what did you do? And Nehemiah's coming back, and he's saying, look, time out here. You all have the truth. What happened? Why have you turned? You knew these things. God was blessing these things. You were singing with joy in your hearts. Why would you leave all of that to go back to this dry, paganistic, worldly system. But he has a job to do, and he comes to do it. And let's take a look at the first thing that we see here in today. And again, this is a continuation. This is part two. Again, if you are here last week, we were already looking at the 13th chapter and we couldn't fit it all in one week because there's a lot here. But he comes in verse 17 as we started off reading and I contended with the nobles of Judah. It, it wasn't just Tobiah. It wasn't just Eliashib. And the rulers that Nehemiah confronted. And it wasn't just the compromise of Tobiah's temple apartment. Uh, there was the violations of the Sabbath, which he speaks of here in verse 17. Uh, what is this evil that you do? Profane the Sabbath day. There was the violations of the Sabbath... The refusal to give the tithes and offerings, those were two big pieces of the puzzle that they had turned their backs on. Uh, But this was a comprehensive work of confrontation. Again, uh, he was confronting all of the issues, not just one or two things, not just one person, not just Eliashib, although it started with Eliashib because he had the highest responsibility. He was at the top. He should have been the right example. Instead, he was compromising. And that's why, by the way, good leaders need other godly leaders in their life who will challenge them when they are compromising. You ever see a leader that doesn't have any, you know, peer group around them? That's not good. Leaders need to be challenged by by other leaders. But Elisha didn't have anyone challenging him, and so he comes back. This is just a comprehensive, it might start with Elisha, but it's going to work its way down. And God's going to address every single issue that's out there, Uh, whatever and whoever The Lord was spotlighting, Nehemiah was going to have to confront it. Nehemiah confronted them with God's commands and the scriptures that he gave that were related to their current condition. And as I mentioned last week, these three things, again, uh, these areas of repentance and commitment that were born out of the first revival, you know, back in 8, 9, chapter 10, uh, there was the purity in marriage, the keeping of the Sabbath, and the committed first fruit giving of tithes and offerings. Those three things. The purity in marriage, couldn't have, couldn't have pagan husbands and wives. You, you had to marry Jewish followers of the Lord. Couldn't marry, I just want to marry the world, and, and I'll be a good witness to my unsafe spouse. You still hear that sometimes. 
uh, by people today. And then that second thing, the Sabbath feast, and then the third, uh, the first fruit giving of tithes and offerings. And these areas of faith and obedience were foundational to what God had given to Moses all the way back in Exodus 34. Turn with me to real quickly to Exodus chapter 34. Uh, what Nehemiah is bringing back to their attention, again, they had signed a covenant to do these things, but they weren't just making these things up. Remember that the whole commitments of the covenant were born out of when Ezra got up and read the law all day long. Remember? Well, when they read the law, they heard what the Word said. The reason you come to church is you want to hear what the Word says. And then when you hear what the Word says, you want to do what the Word says. You want to apply it in your life. You don't want to just be hears the Word, but you want to be, as Jesus said, doers of the Word. But the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the Word has to be heard first. And what they were responding to or had responded to, Moses had already talked about or given them in the commandments. Uh, Exodus 34 for example, it's, he says uh, in verse 18, Exodus 34. Now, this is just after um, you know, Moses has come down uh, the mountain. He says, uh, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall keep unleavened bread. These are the feasts. They, uh, they ended up seeing, that okay, we, we hadn't been keeping the feast. Uh, he speaks of the Sabbath in verse 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest in the plowing time. And the harvest time and rest, and you shall... So again, Sabbath, six days work, seventh day rest. Not turn the seventh day into a marketplace, right? Which was what they were doing. They were turning the seventh day into Target. Uh, the seventh day was not supposed to be Target or Walmart or anything else. It was supposed to be sanctuary time, rest time. And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks and the first fruits of wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering. Three times a year all your men shall appear before the Lord... Uh, the God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man uh, in your land, neither will any man covet your land when you go up and appear before the Lord, uh, your God, three times. You shall not, verse 25, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall sacrifice the feast of Passover. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 26, the first, the first fruits, there's that first fruit giving. Um, oh, by, go back to verse 16, that's what I, Here's marriage here. Um, verse 16, and you shall uh, take of, he's saying, uh, verse 15 actually, let me pick it up there. Uh, and when you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So what you just saw there, and I've done that kind of quickly, is first fruit giving was mentioned, Sabbath was mentioned, and intermarrying was all mentioned. And so these are, and this isn't the only place, this is just one example in the law. It's repeated numerous times that these things were non negotiable for God. Amen? So when the children of Israel uh, came back in the covenant, and Nehemiah heads back to Babylon and says, Thank goodness you're all serving the Lord, it was understood that they would not deviate from these things. They would not go back. But they're a lot like us. Our flesh is really strong, isn't it? We have great intentions on Sunday, don't we? Then comes Monday, right? We have great intentions on Sunday, then comes middle of the week. 
There's areas for compromise. There's opportunities for compromise. Well, everybody else does this, so I, you know, I guess I should just bend to the flow, right? And so we don't know how long it took in that 10 to 12-year period. But again, don't, don't think that little tiny bits of compromise, little tiny bits become a lot over time, right? You can't give an inch. You have to stay before the Lord. You have to stay in prayer. You have to stay say, Lord, help me daily to be a living sacrifice to you. Daily, because the, the enemy is constantly looking for us to compromise and to slide back. Now, Nehemiah, he wasn't the first or the last man that God would send to Israel to confront sin and compromise, but not by a long shot. Many were sent. Many prophets were sent. And God would periodically send prophets and men of God that would preach and confront what? Rebellion and this drift away from the Lord. In the New Testament, he sends the apostles out. They have the same... They have the same charter. Now, they're, they're bringing the gospel of salvation, but they also were confronting. You read Paul's letters to the churches? They're pretty in your face, aren't they? What is this I hear is going on? That kind of stuff. You know, how is this possible? Uh, did I not teach you these things? So there's this confrontation that God will use men of God to do and confronting, correcting. It wasn't, and it still isn't, an easy job. It should never be done in the flesh. And you as parents... You know there's times when you have corrected in the flesh, right? Shouldn't be done in the flesh. Anytime uh, anyone is used of God to confront and correct, they have to be sanctified first, sanctified, made ready for this kind of correction. Nehemiah had to be really empowered of the Holy Spirit to go and do this work. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Not consider the plank in your own eye. Jesus was saying, if you're ever going to have to do intervention-type work, if you're going to ever have to uh, say, hey, thus saith the Lord, Jesus said, make sure your eyes are clear first. Because there, there will come a time. If, if no one can do this, then no one... This is, by the way, this is the insidious lie Americans are telling each other, that nobody can correct anybody because you're all a bunch of... You're, we're all hypocrites. So nobody can correct anybody. That's not true. The Bible says no. People can be clean enough to say, this is not me saying it, this is what the scriptures say. And we have to be able to say, all right, I'm standing on the word of God on this. I'm not perfect, but this still has to be said. That's what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah's not perfect, but he's like, this can't be. Nehemiah, he comes as a clean vessel, but you need more than just be a clean vessel for a job like this. You need to be a filled and anointed vessel. Did you know that? You'll need more than just to be clean to do the job of leading in your home, to do the job of being a witness in the world. You'll be more than just have your sins confessed. You want not only have all the sins out, but you also want the Holy Spirit flowing in. You need more than just, well, I said my prayers, if you will. Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, we don't get boldness until we first come to the mercy seat. We always come to the mercy seat, Lord, have mercy upon me, drain me of me, and refill me with you. So we have to have the forgiveness part, but then we have to be filled with the Lord. And I don't think there's any question that Nehemiah is filled with boldness. What do you think? He's taken on a whole city by himself. He's either completely nuts or completely filled with the Holy Spirit. 
one or the other. And the zeal of the Lord is upon him, but it's not an anger against, it's a righteous anger that's coming right out of heaven through him. God's just like anointing him. Moses had it when he saw the golden calf, didn't he? Moses, Moses says, not on my watch when he saw the golden calf. Samson had it. At times he had, Samson at times was a godly man. Other times he was very worldly. But when he saw the Philistines attempting to hold Israel hostage, it gave him a righteous anger that they were in bondage. A righteous anger. God doesn't want to see his people in bondage. He doesn't want to see you in bondage. David had it when he saw Goliath, didn't he? He got fired up. He says, why, are he, why is he blaspheming the living God? David had a righteous anger, a righteous zeal. Jesus had it. Twice he went into the temple, didn't he? Oh, he let loose. Flipping tables. driving. He made a whip and drove people out. Because they had turned the temple into a place of greed, into a place of dishonesty, into a place of business purposes. And you see Jesus, on the one hand, placing little children on his lap as calm and gentle as he could be. And then you see him, on the other hand, making a scourge and flipping tables. All for what? To protect the holiness of God. Because God is a righteous God. He is a loving God, but he... He, he's an unbending God when it comes to sin. That's why the cross was so wrath-filled, because the wrath of God was poured out on his son. And so Jesus, at times, demonstrated that God is a God of judgment. And when he clears out the temple, it's an example that God will never let the world encroach upon the holiness of God. He didn't do it. Oh, he did it two times. But it was a demonstration that God will not tolerate rebellion and just... Well, we'll do things the way we want to do it. Now, you and I won't have the right to do that. Jesus does, by the way, right? <laughs> by the way, it's his temple. Do whatever he wants with it. But he was, he was, he was guarding the name of his father. But, he, but God does put that same spirit at times in the scriptures. We see it into some of the prophets. And Nehemiah is in that place. Uh, God is sovereign. He is holy. Uh, and anything he deals with, is going to always accentuate his holiness. We need to look at his holiness. Even in heaven, the angels say what? Nonstop. Holy, holy, holy. And so the holiness of God should humble us. Now, the Old Testament prophets, they were generally different than New Testament apostles in a number of ways. Um, but most often, the Old Testament apostles, the Old Testament prophets, that is, uh, they were very often addressing sin, and sin on a national scale. Often, not just not just talking to a person one on one, but addressing sin on a national scale, like really speaking to the nation. Uh, so, in some ways, the apostles would address sin in the church, right? You see letters. Uh, we see it in Titus. If you're, we're going through Titus, you know. Paul has to say, hey, these things are going on in the church. They cannot be. So in some ways, both apostles in the New Testament and prophets in the Old Testament, they are sent to do some police work at times. Sent to 
confront things, sent to clean things up, but part of that police work is in the preaching of the word. But when they come uh, to do that work for the Lord, it's not a request, it's a command. As you saw in Titus, Paul didn't say, hey, hey, Titus, if you think it's, if you, if you think it's agreeable with you, um, maybe put some elders in place and get, get the false teaching out. No, he says, these things do. But Paul's commands are really coming from Jesus, right? Jesus is the head of the church. God is the head of Israel, and God's telling uh, Nehemiah, when you go back, you're not asking the people, hey, would you guys mind stop intermarrying? Would you guys mind uh, cleaning up the Sabbath and making... He's not asking them. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. It's non-negotiable. And the apostles, uh, they would preach to a city... And if nobody believed, what did the apostles do? They dust off their feet and move on. That wasn't the work of prophets. Prophets were not to dust off their feet. They were to come and get it straightened out. Now, some of the prophets would die in that process because not everyone listened to them, but they killed many prophets. Jesus was a prophet sent to his own house, and what did they do to him? They killed him. Jesus never bended from his message. He kept the message right up, and that's what took him to the cross. And so this could have cost Nehemiah, hypothetically, this could have cost Nehemiah his life. Do you understand that? Because they had turned on prophets before and said, we're not listening to this. You know, our team's going to Israel. I'll, I'll be pre teaching on this. Jezebel and Ahab were hunting for Elijah for three and a half years to kill him. They weren't like, oh, this is what we should do. We will agree. But in this case, well, you're always glad, if, if you've ever preached the word, if you've ever taught a Bible study even in your own home, you're really glad when all of a sudden what you're saying, the hearts get soft. Because when you confront, one of two things can happen. They can either say, we have sinned, or they can say, we're not hearing this, you're a dead man. One of two things. Now, God can still protect, because I believe that a little Samson-ish came upon Nehemiah in this case. And then people are like, we could try and kill him. But in our mind, we're kind of thinking here, if he is full-on Samson on us, He's, he's making light work of people really easy. Um, this is better than Bruce Lee taking on like 26 people. You know, this is, uh, this is, at some point, the people say, there's enough hand of the Lord on this guy that maybe we should listen. Because if we try and just take matters into our own hand, uh, he could, you know, remember, Samson picks up the jawbone of a donkey, kills a thousand men. Now, Nehemiah wasn't there to kill anybody, but I'm just saying that I believe people saw the power of God on him and were struck by it in a conviction of the heart, not like afraid of him, but the power of God and the zeal of the Lord, I believe, opened their eyes to say, he's right. What are we doing? And instead of being further rebellious, they start to relent and say, yeah, we've made a mess of things here. Israel as a nation belonged to God. And so he's sending his prophet for his means to bring them back. You know, the Bible says to be angry and sin not. There is a time it's okay to be angry about things. Especially when, if you see things, if you see, you see like some just horrible murder and whole family killed, you get kind of a righteous anger about it. But it should lead you to talk to God about it. It should lead you to have the right response to people. And so Nehemiah, he comes and he does have a righteous anger, but he then presents the counsel of the Lord. One of Jesus' names, you know it, is what? 
wonderful counselor. He doesn't come just, Jesus will rebuke us. But after we are with the rebuke, he will always give us a word of direction for our life, right? You ever have someone who's older, more experienced, that actually cares about you? Somewhere in your life, maybe you have to go back 10, 15 years to think of when this has happened, but I've had it happen on more than a few occasions over the years. You ever have someone who, again, they, they have more life experience, they're more mature, and they say these words, and you know when they say it, they observe something in you that they believe they can help you when they say these words, let me give you some free advice. You ever have someone say that to you? As soon as you hear that, at first you don't feel real good about it because you're, you're right when you assume, I think they've observed something that I could probably do a little better, a little wiser. But you have to be, you have to determine right now in your life to be teachable. You can learn something from almost everybody. So can I. You know, sometimes I get some hard teachable moments and I have to say, I have to stop myself in my mind and say, what they're saying is absolutely true. I need to listen to this. Not sign and say, well, not justify why. Here's, here's, here's why I did it. If we're teachable, we really will benefit. Amen? We will benefit. And if, they, and if you know that they have your... Here's the thing, and this is why we have to build relationships with each other. People really respond well when they know that you really do care about them. And if there's a trust factor there. So if, you, if it's someone that you know loves you and you know they will be there for you through thick and thin and they say, let me give you some free advice, you'll probably listen to them. But if it's someone who gossips about you, yeah, you're probably not going to want to listen to them. Right? But Nehemiah was someone you could trust. Jesus is someone we can trust, right? Jesus, I have some advice for you. Nehemiah wasn't there simply to stop what was happening but to give them a way forward, a word of the Lord. Jesus said in Revelation 3.18, I already told you one of his names, Wonderful Counselor, but he says these words, Revelation 3.18, I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you might be rich and white garments you might be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you see. Jesus says, my counsel is taking you from something to a place of freedom, and really experiencing the goodness of God. Jesus is saying, I, I, he's saying, I, I see your condition, but I want you to see it. And I'm offering you something better than what the world is offering you. That's what Jesus is saying. And Nehemiah is saying, God is offering you something far better than what the Canaanite pagan religions are offering you. Nehemiah, in a similar manner, he, he counsels the people. He's reminding the people. He's telling them, he, he says, in the, um, after he contended with them in verse 25, you saw the words, he says, did not Solomon, the king of Israel, he takes them back on a historical journey here. He says, let's go back to Solomon. Long before the, the nation split into two, after Solomon died, the, the nation splits and becomes two kingdoms, but he takes them back to David's son Solomon and says, look, have you forgotten the peril of this path of intermarrying with idolaters? Have you forgotten that the whole reason the country is torn in two is because Solomon started marrying women? That They may have been beautiful. They might have been 
good arrangements with other kingdoms because there was always you know, some sort of benefit in one king marrying other king's daughters and all this stuff. And instead of just doing things the Lord's way, Solomon compromised in those areas. Amazingly, God still had him wise in every other area, but was really dumb in this one area. Right? And Nehemiah is saying it, it cost a lot. The nation is still never really recovered from that, is what he's saying. It's never really recovered from that decision. By the way, some decisions by our founding fathers, our nation's never really recovered from. Agree? It works this way. It goes hundreds of years sometimes. That when people make decisions that are not from the Lord, then, yeah, God will still bless them this way, this way, this way, but there's certain fallout that seems to be there a long time later. And he's saying, why would you perpetuate it? Get away from that. Don't, don't follow that. There's many things you could follow Solomon for, but this is not one of them. Not in the area of these relationships. And he refers back, it's ironic, the wisest man to ever live, live, yet he listened to his flesh rather than God when it came to the issue of marriage. And yet he was so wise in all these other areas because just God, once God makes a statement, you're going to be wise. He was wise forever at least while you live, but not this area. And all of Israel paid the price. The whole reason the walls had to be rebuilt the first time is because the nation had fallen away and fallen into captivity. The counsel of God is always in essence. Here's the counsel of God always to us. Come to your senses. Come to your senses. Come come to the fact Jesus is saying, this is where you're at. You need this eye salve. You need clothing. Well, I don't feel naked. Well, Jesus says you are. It doesn't matter if you feel naked. If Jesus says you're naked, you're naked. Amen? Because he was talking to a church that had a lot of money. They had really cool programs going on. They were the hippest church in town. And Jesus says, you guys are as lukewarm as the day is long. And so Nehemiah is confronting Israel and says, it doesn't matter how you feel. We don't feel that bad. You are in bad shape. Your marriages, you're turning Sunday into market day, right? You're doing anything you want, but without, um, without God speaking to us, we don't see the facts the way they really are. And understand that with, with disobedience to God, it's always impossible to win. With obedience to God, it's impossible to lose. With disobedience to God, it's impossible to win. But with obedience to God, it's impossible to lose in God's economy. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 16. I love this passage. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. And I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgment, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land when you go and possess it. God says, look... If you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But people don't believe that. They're like, no, no, no. If I obey God, my life will be miserable. And so they unwittingly are chaining themselves day by day, putting more chains around themselves. And God says, I've come to release you from these heavy burdens that you really can't release with just a better job or more money or this, that, and the other. Last thing. As we come to a close, not only this chapter, but the entire study, cleansing. This is what God ultimately wants to do. He knows we need to be cleansed. We have to come to the place that we know we need to be cleansed. Amen? Uh, my uh, 
You know, I, with my 50th birthday recently, my older brother surprised me. He was in town. He's 10 years older than me. Um, I'm five years older than Montel here, and so we got a little gap between us. Uh, but he's 10 years old, he, and when we were real little, for whatever, our family was big. And so um, I'm 10 years younger than my brother, and yet me and him had the same bedroom. And he was 10 years older and was already, you know, I can't, I was probably like five, and he was 15 at this time. The difference in mentality between a five-year-old and a 15-year-old, <laughs> he's wanting to be clean and put on cologne and stuff. You know, he's starting to notice girls in high school or whatever else. I'm five and don't want to bathe at all. <laughs> and uh, he's telling my wife this. He's like, he's like, she goes, you would not believe this kid. I could not get him to even take a bath. I mean, he would like, he would, he would want to take a bath for a week. He'd be playing out. His fingers would, uh, and this was me, dirt underneath them. I used to fight against not taking a bath. I had no concept that that was important. I didn't see myself as dirty. But my brother, 10 years old, definitely saw me. And he goes, you made the room smell and all this, you know, all this kind of stuff. So um, it's, but Jesus sees us the way we really are. We don't see it. We see, uh, what's wrong? Everyone in Jerusalem's doing this. Why is this not? Because all my friends that were five, they were the same. And he goes, you guys were up at 6 a.m. riding big wheels up and down the road, waking the entire neighborhood up on a Saturday. And we did. You remember big wheels? They had plastic wheels. Plastic wheels make a lot of noise on pavement. Whereas rubber wheels are nice and soft, but not big wheels. You'd wear them things out until the parents had to buy you another big wheel because it wears out in the center. And, but if you were around other five-year-olds, it was normative. If you were all dirty and you all smelled bad and you all rode big wheels at 6 a.m., you thought that everyone did that. And Jesus comes along, or Nehemiah comes along and says, I know you think this is normal, but in heaven, God's saying, this can't be. This is not normal. This, you're going to have to grow up. Spiritually. But first, God has to cleanse us. He's got to throw us all in the bathtub. You've got to be washed. You've got to get all that dirt out. And so Nehemiah has some work to do. He's not, only there to con he's not only there to confront. He's not only there to counsel. But he's also there to say, Lord God, you've got to cleanse this situation. He needs his own cleansing. Um, he says a, a number of times, and you know, we, we see in the prayer there in verse 22, Spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. You know, God cleanses us when we ask for mercy. You know that, right? Everyone in Jerusalem could ask for mercy. But it has to be from a sincere heart. It can't be a flippant prayer. People have said sinner's prayer has not gotten saved. Sinner's prayer won't save you. A, confess with the mouth and believe in the what? Heart. It has to be an issue of the heart. You'll know when you mean business with God, and God will know when you mean business with him. And the people... He was there to bring cleansing, but ultimately it was going to be up to them. They had to make that decision. I was listening to a message from Chuck Swindoll this week, and he said uh, these words. He said, this message I'm going to preach, he said, it could change your entire life if you respond correctly. Right? He goes, it, it always comes down to our response, doesn't it? It always comes down to what we're going to do. God will present us with the facts and say, and here's how you can be cleansed. And Nehemiah's done his part. And we see in verse 30, uh, he says, or it's even verse 29, he says, Remember me, O God, last two verses here, last two uh, before we get to the last verse. Remember me, O God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood of the, and the Levites. 
Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites and each to his service. Now, Nehemiah can't really cleanse at the heart level. He can only cleanse and make things right, right? Like, as a five-year-old, I could get a bath, but if my heart, I'm saying, you're not getting me in there for another month, <laughs> then there's really not been a heart change, right? We're still in a battle. We're still an impasse. Uh, but we know the Lord's desire. Nehemiah is saying, for me, I'm hoping that they also follow with the same heart. Um, Lord, I've done all I can do. I've laid it all on the line. Now it's up to you to do the cleansing work. He's laid it all out there. He says, I, I've cleansed them. I've got everybody back in their place. The Levites are, everything's taken care of. There's no more foreigners that are opposed to God in the temple. There's no more, um, you know, intermarriage, all of these things. There's no more of the Sabbath has been consecrated and, and set right. The market guys, they've, they remember they hung out for a couple of nights. Nehemiah said, I'm going to set hands on you. And then they got out of there and, did, and we've got all that straightened out. And the people seem to acquiesce and do the right thing. But that what it will come down to, are they doing it from the heart? The people respond. They respond to the correction. They respond to the counsel. Um, and rather than, what I think is a good sign is rather than resist him, they do the things that he says. And I think that is a good sign. They are, they are adults that could fight against it, but they do. Uh, but understand, only God can really see what's taking place. He's the only one that can do the cleansing. You can present, and you must as parents present the gospel to your kids, but ultimately they're going to make their own decision. Amen? They're going to make their own decision. I can present from the pulpit what I know God is telling every single one of us to do, but ultimately you're going to have to make your own decision. I have to make my own decision. Uh, do we want to be cleansed or do we not? Uh, do we want to ask for the mercy of God? And uh, we know that if Jesus asks us to do something, um, he's going to remove, but he's, he's going to say, hey, there's action that I want you to take. Nehemiah had to, he had to ask God for mercy, but then he had to go and do the things God set before him. And we see in verse 31, even this last verse, and the bringing of the wood offering and the first fruits of the appointed time. The people now, they have to know the appointed times. They have to willingly give these offerings. And that's on, their, you know, Nehemiah's not going from house to house all over the place. Now it has to be the heart of the people to say, we will do these things. We will commit these things to the Lord. Because Again, when God cleanses us and then fills us with forgiveness, but then he says, all right, now it's time to go back and do the first works, as Jesus said in the book of Revelation. Now, Nehemiah, as we kind of come to a close here, um, Nehemiah uh, had a big impact. And if you're walking with the Lord and you're living with the Holy living a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit, your life can't help but impact other people. And one of the things that, you know, is God wants to do in your life as he does a cleansing work in you, he wants your life to have an overflow. He's not going to send you necessarily as a prophet to Nineveh or as a prophet to Jerusalem, but you will, your life will have an overflow. You will touch other people's lives. You will give a word of encouragement over the phone. You will send a text where no one told you to do it. God just says, hey, text that person. Encourage them, build them up. 
Come alongside them. Your life, as God does a cleansing work in you, he wants that to flow out of you and to touch other people. Nehemiah had a clear conscience as we kind of come to the end of this whole study. Uh, would you agree with me he had a clear conscience that he'd done all that God asked him to do? I mean, he left it all on the court. He had reserved to the 13th chapter, say, Lord, I'm not even going to hit anybody unless it absolutely comes necessary. You know, you know that kind of, <laughs> I've, I've made it 12 years without doing this, but they're not listening. It's like a parent that says, if we have to go over this one more time, I'm getting out the switch, right? That's kind of where, where Nehemiah was at. He had a clear conscience. He could say, Lord, I, I did everything. And finally, God says, no, this has to be done. You're going to have to take, I want them to be repentant. I don't want them to live in this way anymore. And I just think that's the heart of God. Nehemiah had a clear conscience. But when you know the heart of God, that God is not trying to beat you up. He's trying to build you up. Amen? He's not trying to tear walls down. He's rebuilt the walls. But we, we, we get really dumb. We, we, we start to think that, well, this will make me more happy or I'd have more peace if I did And that's all a lie. And so sometimes God has to be that coach that shakes us and says, no, 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 no. This isn't going to be. This is what you need to hear. And God will do that to confront us. He'll do that to counsel us. And ultimately what? To cleanse us. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. that your word is so faithful and true. It's one of your names, Jesus, a faithful and true witness. And Lord, we need to be confronted by your word because it's a good work. You wound us to bind us up. You peel back the layers of our excuses. Uh, Lord, you deliver us from our own fears. You deliver us from our own misconceptions. Lord, we need a bath sometimes and don't know it. Lord, all of these things, and Israel is no exception, Lord, we're, and certainly we aren't either, Lord. We're just, just as sometimes forgetful of your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we thank you that you may not have sent Nehemiah physically to us, but you sent him in the word. We've spent these 13 chapters, Lord, we, we thank you that you have reminded us, Lord, what it means to see you do a work of rebuilding, restoring what it means to call upon the name of the Lord even when there's opposition coming against us and to see that you will bring us to finish lines if we keep our eyes fixed on you. And we thank you that you forgive us even when we have lapses as Jerusalem did. Your goodness and your grace, you've forgiven us hundreds and thousands of times. We're going to close in song in just a minute, but if you have... If your head's bowed, in any area of your life, an area where you say, I could use some renewal from God, I don't care if it's one tiny area, I want you to stand right where you're at. Just stand right where you're at. Any area at all. I'm standing, by the way. I have, I have dozens of areas where God could renew, but that's just me. One area at all. It just says a humility to God. You say, I have something that I could really use God renewing this in my life. Could be something you're bothered about, could be something that you, uh, a sin you've battled, could be a bitterness towards somebody, could be a relationship, could be depression, could be some fear, could be something you say, I, could be physical illness, something, 
Say, Lord, I could really use God to renew. Did you know God has a lot of resources in his storehouse to do it? Isn't that great to know? He doesn't have, he's not like, he's not like us. He's like, man, I only have this much in the bank, or I only have this much limited, you know, I only have this much healing power. God is limitless. Isn't that great to know? Yes, it is. And so I just want to pray with you. You know, your standing won't solve anything, but you do have to resolve in your hearts and say, Lord, I, I want to agree with God. That's what the people of Jerusalem came to the place where, where you and I will see many chains fall off our life, many victories when we stop debating with God and start agreeing with God. And sometimes we're not debating with God. We're just kind of ignoring because we don't want to be confronted with some, let me, where God says, let me give you some free advice. Amen? But we really need it. And Nehemiah uh, loved the people enough to say, this is what we all need. That other stuff's going to cause us nothing but heartache. Lord, you see these, each and every person that's standing. You love them. You died on a cross for them. Jesus, you never flinched and changed your message to modify it to what people think or what we in this room would think. You simply said, this is what you need to be saved. And you said, this is what you need to walk in the Spirit. And this is what you need for my joy to abide in you. And Lord, you give an uncompromising truth, but you give a life-giving truth. And so, Lord, we just ask first that you would forgive us where our ears have been dull, where we've been resistant, where we've made excuses, where we've been rebellious, where we've been fearful. Lord, we all struggle with fear at times. Lord, we pray that you would dissolve these things. Where we, Lord, maybe you're still gripped by grief. We pray that you would Help us to see that you can lift us above each and every one of these things. Lord, I pray in this room, those that need physical healing, Lord, we came and maybe sick together, we can walk out healed together. So, Lord, we know that you can do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. We just ask that you would be gracious and merciful. Lord, that was Nehemiah's prayer, that you'd be merciful to him. And, Lord, even in our imperfections, Lord, we pray that uh, our hearts are sincere. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.